0: Welcome to Lawyer Business Advantage, your source for biz dev tips, wisdom, and inspiration. I'm your host, Alej Yajnik. We're unleashing your inner rainmaker in three, two, one. And it's my pleasure to welcome to the show, Gideon Grunfeld. Gideon is the president of Rainmaking for Lawyers. Gideon, welcome to Lawyer Business Advantage. Pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for uh, for joining us today. And so. I guess as we're getting into it, what was your inspiration and your background for founding Rainmaking for Lawyers?
1: RFL, as I call it, is basically an outgrowth of what I did before. So I was a law firm, large law firm associate and litigator for almost 10 years. And before that, I was a campaign manager. I was an HR executive. I was a consultant. For a group of people who were you know statistical geniuses and expert witnesses and i translated what they tried to say into english for humans because they were basically (laughs) all phds in statistics so after being uh, you know in the litigation world and large you know large-scale litigation for 10 years i wanted to do something that was based on my expertise and an audience that i knew and cared about and so that's how we created RFL. So it's a, we consult for lawyers and we also coach them on business development and other strategic planning issues. But it was a pretty direct result of what I had done before.
0: Yeah. You know, one of the nice things about having your own business too, is I think we are in positions of being able to really seize trends and opportunities that we see on the horizon. Uh, and maybe mu- move much faster than we could to take advantage of those than we could if we were part of a larger organization with a very, you know, specific kind of cog in the wheel type of role. Um, and one of the things that, Gideon, that you and I have been talking about is this idea of, you know, a lot of the generational uh, impacts that are going on right now with with baby boomers exiting, millennials, you know, now comprising the majority of the workforce there's a lot of changes that are happening, and you throw the the pandemic on top of it. I, I know a lot of a lot of lawyers are saying, "Look, <laughs> I've been doing this for a very long time. I don't need to adjust to a remote workforce on top of everything else." But what trends are you seeing in that law firm succession space?
1: Well, law firm succession has really become, and I've done this long enough that it's beca- it's it went from a curiosity, which was what it was when I first started talking about it or having programs about it you know at bar associations and at other venues and now it's become in the last i would say three or four years something that is much more top of mind and as you pointed out there's no question that covid19 has absolutely been an accelerant to that process and it's been an accelerant both for the people who are thinking of winding down and they kind of fall into two categories. There are people for whom COVID-19 is a signal for them that look, the underlying fun or the economics or the dynamics of the practice I'm in are so unattractive or the changes that would be required are so extensive that this is a good time to, for me to get off of the bus. Um, and and usually not for health issues. And so the cases and the matters where we're consulting, it's usually not because someone has tested positive or you know, they've had an affinity of uh you know, like you know, they sort of have a like over their head that way. It's more like I've been doing this a long time, and the underlying attractiveness of the practice is so diminished. Then there are people who are thinking, you know, like I want to cash out. And and then uh I don't want to commit to do what's necessary and I want to cash out. So like a a trend that's really impacting that to give you one specific example is the commercial real estate space. So we're working on several projects right now where the reason for the discussion and the need for consulting about succession planning, it arose because the firm is looking at, a lease that needs to be renewed and the senior people say or sometimes even the junior people say it's crazy for us to renew that lease uh you know i deal most with clients in big cities and you're dealing with leases that depending on like if they're in class a office space and a top floor you're looking at you know ninety dollars a hundred dollars a square foot and that has absolutely been an accelerant to this process it's sort of I would say that it's again it's an inflection point COVID-19 it's strengthening from before where people are examining beyond the hey maybe we can work from home but they're really examining in more strategic ways what should we do and that's leading some firms to say hey this is the time for us to deal with this generational transition. Sometimes it's driven by the people who are winding down. Sometimes it's driven by people who are younger and stepping up and they say, look, I've been killing it around here. I have lots of authority around here. I generate a lot of business around here, but I don't have a seat at the table. And that conversation is probably gone on deaf ears for many years, but now COVID-19 and the things that were happening in the market two, three years before are causing people to focus on that conversation more than ever before.
0: Makes a lot of sense. If you're going to be locking the firm into a long-term lease uh, where the current managing partners may not, you know, may not be in the game for the, for most of the life of that lease. Uh, I can see why that would drive a lot of succession planning discussions. So Gideon, I, I have to say, you know, when we were first introduced through Provisors, you um, here you are doing rainmaking for lawyers, and I do a lot of business development coaching for attorneys as well. And our conversation was around law firm succession planning. And I was thinking, what, what, how is this, how does this relate to business development and rainmaking? Um, but you, you know, as we had a conversation, uh, you built a pretty compelling case for that. Um, we'd love to hear about your thoughts on on law firm succession planning and how it relates to business development and law firm growth.
1: I guess the easiest way for me to say that, and and sometimes I advise people if you're looking for a catchy phrase, uh, when you're thinking about growing your business and thinking about new clients, do it the old fashioned way. Inherit them, right? Increasingly over the last five years, succession planning is an example of how positioning yourself in the marketplace can be a tremendous tool for growing your business beyond sort of what i refer to as sort of retail one-on-one one one client at a time hand-to-hand combat if you will Mm -hmm. right so especially if you look at the demographics of not only law firms but all the professions accounting forensic accounting business valuation medicine a rapidly aging population with so many people who historically have not monetized their business And so the ability to think about, hey, one way I can expand geographically, one way I can expand my client base, one way I can get to an adjoining practice area is to tap into this incredibly robust generational shift and let me acquire a practice or let me bring in a managing partner or let me become their managing partner. Most of the time, for technical and tax reasons, you try to avoid making it an outright acquisition, which is why succession planning is oftentimes by far the most effective way to, in one fell swoop, you're going to add a couple hundred thousand dollars or more revenue. You're going to inherit another office. It doesn't mean that you don't have to plan for it and there are no issues involved. But I would say, especially in the last five years, and COVID-19 is absolutely speeding this process up, if you don't think about succession planning as at least an opportunity to grow your business, I think you're totally missing the boat. It's something that almost every practice area should consider in terms of their growth strategy.
0: It's an excellent point because, you know, organic growth is one thing, but growth by acquisition is usually by far the fastest way to grow. Um, You know, one of the concerns when I get into discussions with clients about this, one of the discussions they don't really seriously pursue it, I think, is they're just intimidated by all the work that's involved. They have to identify potential law firms, identify attorneys and have those conversations. They don't know how to even approach that kind of a conversation. So when you work with your clients who are looking to grow and looking to acquire companies, how do they go about going through that process of identifying a target and then having those initial conversations?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And I say that the, the short answer is that this is easier than most lawyers realize. And the reason that's the case is because there are two sources of disinformation. And I don't mean that people are like planting fake news, but just people are making assumptions that were probably once true but specifically as lawyers are no longer likely to be true so one is you don't hear a lot of conversation from the people or the generation winding down their practice because a lot of them under their misconception that only a small sliver of practices can be transitioned to someone else so you almost, you don't see a lot of like letters or emails or notices saying, hey, I'm a year from now, I'm thinking of retiring, I want to talk to someone, because they're all under the misapprehension that that's not doable for them. Or they think only like M&A lawyers working with General Electric can do that. I've heard, I've had that conversation forever. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so when I started doing seminars on this in like 2005 and six, that was sort of one mantra you hear, like, i i don't i'm not in a practice that you can do this for and also i just want to die at my desk that was sort of what people would say back then we've come a long way at least in the hey there are other options other than dying at your desk the other kind of misconception that people have is they think that this is going to be like a brokered deal like this is a 5 or 10 or 30 million dollar manufacturing company that's looking to sell like a family owned business. And there's a whole infrastructure of business brokers and investment bankers and funding sources for how we're gonna finance this kind of deal. And that's gonna require formal valuation and lawyers, even transactional lawyers that I've dealt with who really are sophisticated about negotiating deals walk into this process somehow thinking that that's how professional service companies go through the succession planning process and that's rarely true a vast majority of the time to answer your question directly like how do you find the person you know them most of the time unless you're looking at a geographical expansion right like you said okay you're in the bay area i'm in the southern california area and i don't know anyone as if that's like it's as if like those two markets never talk to each other (laughs) um Right, But even if that's the case, you want to expand to an area you don't know, a vast majority of the time, this is one or two degrees of separation. A vast majority of the deals that I've worked on behind the scenes on either side, uh, whether it's a succession plan, whether it turns out to be an actual acquisition or some other manifestation, the people already knew each other or they knew someone who knew both of them. And so sometimes I'm in that role where I'm making the introduction or I'm doing a little bit of, okay, here's a one sheet that's anonymous. And so sometimes that's our role. It's like, if you don't want to notify people, a common way to do this is we create a one sheet and say, here's an opportunity and we'll send it to people. And if they're not interested, they don't know who you are. Only the people who sign in a non-disclosure agreement find out who you are. But it's not this mysterious, like I'm going to have to put a whole advertising campaign and we're going to have to get billboards and we're going to have to do a crazy amount of social media, pay per click advertising. That's the model of the five, 10, 20, 30 million dollar nationwide manufacturing company. That's why you have business brokers in that market. This isn't handled that way. So most lawyers are much closer to this than. To finding a suitable partner than they might realize, which is why most of the time, if they're looking at an external route, we can negotiate a deal or, you know, in a matter of months as opposed to a matter of years.
0: That's great. So my takeaways from uh, from that are, you know, number one, it's a lot simpler than, than attorneys probably think because professional services, law firm succession planning is significantly different from uh, manufacturing, which is what they have probably been exposed to. Uh, and number two, it's going to be based upon uh, the attorney's network. So, if you're looking for for people on, to either um, succeed you, or if you're looking to grow through acquisition and law firm succession, look at your network and see who you know. If you're looking to go to a different geography, look at your network and see who you know, who knows people in that geography, and that's usually how these things get done.
1: Yeah, and I would say there's one other element that people are miss sort of you know, they misperceive through no fault of their own. Like, it's not like they like they don't even teach that much law, you and I know in law school, let alone any of this. And this has changed dramatically since a lot of people went to law school. And so I, there's no reason for lawyers to, to know this. But the other area that's sort of an area of misconception is that people tend to think that the business development tool is I have to acquire or be acquired. And in fact, the rarest skill. When I do succession planning, you know, I say, okay, let's look at a year or two. What is the key element that's really going to determine your ability to do this? It's not, can we find a rainmaker? Can we find an external partner? It's oftentimes is do we have an internal candidate to be the managing partner? Most of the time, it's easier to go through the internal route a couple of reasons for that. One is the rules of professional conduct in every state generally have elements in it that make the selling of a practice a little bit more complicated than keeping it internal. And let's say bringing in a managing partner or bringing in a single partner to your uh, existing firm. And so a lot of times, if you have, people say, I have to have a book of business. I know situations where you don't. There's a firm I know where they said, look, we actually have a pretty good group of rainmakers, but we have no one who knows how to run the firm. And so they're talking to a 42-year-old who doesn't have probably a third of the book of business of the firm that he's talking to, but he has the interest and ability and demonstrated desire to be the managing partner, and that's what they need. And so people are lack imagination about how you can structure these deals. A lot of times the missing element is when I'm doing like internal... Uh, internal succession planning consulting in the first step, I'll say, okay, a year from now, who's going to be the managing partner? And if, if no one knows who that is, or everyone points to that one person, and that person says, no, not me ever, then I know we're going to have a much more protracted process. On the other hand, I've had situations where the exact opposite happens. Everyone knew up front, who's the managing partner, who's going to be the leadership, That person. Willingly wants to take on that role. And that is a key element of what makes this process work. And so, and people should be aware, especially if they're thinking about it strategically from a business development point of view, that the ability to lead and manage and motivate ends up being at least as important to the success of this process than pure money or. You know, and what the amount of the buyout is, and so having that skill set and cultivating it within your firm is one of the most important things you can do. That will allow you over time to merge with, acquire, absorb other practices, whatever verb you want to use to fill in that sentence.
0: And I guess once you, you know, you've gone through that process once, and you've gone through, you know, identifying a managing partner going through the cultural issues associated with you know, any kind of a, a merger, uh, it gets probably easier uh, the next time you do it, and the next time you do it, and the next time you do it.
1: It becomes easier, and it also taps into this concept that law firms tend to be sometimes oblivious to. this, like they, they teach an economics class like in the first two weeks of Economics 101, which is economies of scale one of my longest client, longest term clients, I've been really fortunate to work with this firm for more than 10 years, started with one full-time attorney and a part-time associate. And the first succession, the first kind of succession planning acquisition that we did with them, which was a pretty small scale one was in 2008. Now, you know, fast forward 10, 12 years later, That person, because he has the ability to be a managing partner, is now has you know like a dozen lawyers and four offices in three different counties. Mm -hmm. And yes, the economies of scale of hey, everything from buying equipment and supplies and staffing, right? When you have four offices now having an office manager or CFO, you're dividing that overhead cost by four offices as opposed to having one for each office i mean if you think about how restaurants or so many companies expand gym membership even things which are horribly affected by covid-19 but the ability to strategically not only be one office in one location serving one kind of client is something that lawyers tend to have drilled in their head but it is i think an example of if 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 you can get away from that thinking and think strategically Your life gets so much easier. The money becomes easier. Your life, your quality of life goes up exponentially because this particular client can take vacations, right? He's not the only person running his firm. He has other people answering phones and emails if he's unavailable and he plans to be unavailable. You can't do that in a world where the only thing you ever hope to do is to be a social practitioner for the rest of your career.
0: Yes. And I suppose if you've done two or three of these, now you start to build the core competency. You know, I see a lot of this in accounting firms, not so much in law firms, but where they're, you know, one of their real core competencies, and they have maybe two or three, but one of those is their ability to merge with, you know, acquire and merge with other firms. They've just gotten really good at it because it's the same playbook over and over again. Um, and that really, I think, could be a huge growth accelerant for a, a law firm that wanted to go that route.
1: Yeah, and, and not only is it a growth accelerant because the process is often similar and especially if your people have gone through it before, they, they don't get quite to the point of like automatic pilot, but it gets really efficient. You know, look, like we're going to have to get their database. We're going to have to go send out you know emails to their existing clients. You, get an, you can get a standard operating procedure in place uh, and that's one aspect of it. But also you get the mindset, if you will, Of looking for opportunity. So what happens a lot of times, and you know this, you know at least as well as I do, is that lawyers and other business owners get stuck in this. I'm just looking at what needs to be done to get the invoices out. Here's what I need to get to my clients, and they never kind of look up and see what path they're on and whether the trees have moved or whether half the trees have been knocked down by a wind, or they just kind of just trudge day to day, and you mentioning accounting firms is an extraordinarily great example because a lot of lawyers, especially in the transactional space, especially people representing small and mid-sized businesses, seem the lawyers seem to be unaware or almost oblivious of the fact that accounting firms are encroaching on that space aggressively and have been for years and years. And so I have lots of clients in that space. And we're competing with accounting firms more and more, and accounting firms are part of our strategic planning. And that's an example of a mindset that whether you specifically go through succession planning or not, it's a key element of, especially in the years to come, if you have that mindset of, let me look up, let me see what the factors are, let me look at opportunities Uh, This is not a situation where the person who spots the most things that can go wrong, which a lot of times legal training is about, like the person who spots the most typos wins. This is a lot more, let me think entrepreneurial, let me see opportunities, let me evaluate them. And succession planning just happens to be one way of taking advantage of what I am convinced and what I'm seeing day to day are the increased number of opportunities But unfortunately, and I'm genuinely distressed by this, most law firms aren't thinking this way. So the difference between winners and losers within the legal profession is in part for this reason, becoming greater. And I don't think that's good either for the legal profession, and ultimately I don't think that's good for society.
0: And hopefully that's something that's going to change. I I think it really is changing and and that change will probably continue to accelerate. And The good news is the bar is uh, really low when it comes to this stuff uh, in, in the law firm space. So if you have the ambition, you do want to have a rapidly growing firm, uh, doing some strategic planning uh, with an outside person, you know, trained facilitator who can come in and take you through this process and really take the blinders off and get you to consider some ideas and challenge you with some with some ideas that you've never even thought of. That is uh, that is an exercise that pays huge dividends. For the firms that are willing to go through that process, so I appreciate you bringing that up, Gideon.
1: I absolutely agree, and and I know this sounds a little self-serving for two people who work as consultants to law firms, <laughs> but let me let me address this. You wouldn't think that if you if you saw an athlete, a professional athlete, and you saw that they had a sports psychologist and a massage therapist and a nutritionist and all sorts of other help, you wouldn't think, well, they they're they're just they're lousy, right? It's, it's the opposite. The people who are the best, one of the things that they do is that they build a team around them for the areas that they don't pretend to excel at, right? And lawyers do that in narrow areas. Very few lawyers will say, well, let me hook up our IT network, right? They, they don't, right? They don't pretend to know it but there's still very much a, a residue of I'm in the advice giving business. I should know the answers. I had a very high GPA in college. Let me show you my diploma, which makes people resistant and making it think it's a sign of weakness rather than a sign of intelligence and strength and wisdom and vision to let me see in a world that's super rapidly changing, how I can take advantage of this, how I can take care of my people People also think they're going to have to compromise their values to go through this. And I find the opposite to be true, that the more you actually are aware of what matters to you, the more you can configure your life and your law firm and accordingly. And you have more options to do that. But I think, as I said, the difference between winners and losers is now much more about like positioning and strategy and mindset than it is only how does your website look, and did you go to the networking group, and you know, did you get that blog post out? Obviously, the execution part matters a lot, but in the world that's changing this rapidly, the strategic vision part is, in my view, the positioning is as important, and for a lot of the clients we work with, more important than just execution on marketing.
0: Yeah. So we spend a lot of time talking about business development on this podcast. And uh, you mentioned positioning mindset as being key elements of that. Can you expand on that a little bit?
1: Well, I think that part of it is the, the mindset of if you look at your business as your law firm is, look, I have clients and they're, I, I do divorce work, I do estate planning work, I do antitrust work. That kind of thinking sometimes, especially if you do that for long periods of time, makes it harder to think. In terms of positioning, such as who do I want to serve? I, okay, I like steak. I really like steak, or I really like kale for the vegans in the audience. Um, but boy, I don't only want to have steak or vegan, you know, or kale. I want to there. The fact I've done something for 20 years doesn't mean I don't have the opportunity to change. And so that mindset of looking at the business as part of your life and starting with what are the companies i want to serve what are the clients i want to serve what are the problems i want to help solve and looking at it does that make sense does it make sense for me my values my life does it make sense in the marketplace so an example of hey i you might have a passion for workplace safety but making money and having a decent life as a working workers comp lawyer is infinitely harder in a world where the insurance company is a thousand times bigger than you and tells you no matter what you do, even if you're the world's greatest trial lawyer, even if you have 200 jury trials under your belt, we're not gonna pay you more than $125 an hour. And that's not a hypothetical example. I I literally dealt with people in workers' comm, medical malpractice defense, where the landscape has changed so much that they didn't spend any time thinking about positioning. They only kind of looked at the day in, day out of, I have a brief to write, I have a closing to go to, you know, I I have my taxes to pay. And so that lack of strategic vision combined with, how does it fit into your life? So the focus on who do I want to serve? What problems do I want to solve? Your ability to do that today is so much greater, even if you're young and starting out, in part because of succession planning, in part because law has become more fragmented, but that's an example or these are examples of how I'm both incredibly optimistic about the possibilities and that's one of the things that's incredible to do what I do and what you do, the ability to help people and help them kind of grow the businesses they want and the lives they wanna lead is amazingly exciting. But I also like genuinely distressed that a lot of lawyers are trapped into this my job is to just bill hours and do what I did yesterday and they never look up.
0: Yeah. And that approach might work for, you know, maybe a few years. Um, but you know, the stands are shifting, things are changing. And if you're not aware of those upfront, that change can happen pretty darn quick. You can snap your head around and realize that you can't raise your rates or your rates are going down and all of a sudden your practice is commoditized whether it's through other you know lower priced attorneys or through legal alternatives or it's getting really disrupted by other technologies and things that are causing the the value of your practice and the value of your experience to go down
1: and that happens and again i want to make this sure that like i'm not a like a a purveyor of fear
0: yeah there's a flip side to that story too the flip
1: side is exactly right is that if you were that there's reason to be optimistic in a world where things are as dynamic as they are, that if you're good at focusing on who you want to serve and you build systems and you're not staying as a solo and you think strategically and you build a team around you, you are. this has been so democratized, right? It matters less and less who your parents are and and, and, and depending on the, on the area of the country and a little bit what practice area you're in, even... What school you went to matters less is can you deliver the results and can you create systems for people and can you provide value for clients? And so you could be the first person in your family to have gone to college and today's world, look, don't get me wrong. There's still advantages to certain genders and ages. And I, you know, it's probably, I'm not going to say that the fact that I look like a middle aged white guy from central casting with slightly gray hair probably has helped me in the last few years no question but there's also no question that this has become much more democratized in terms of lawyers ability to shape and grow practices and for me that's what's so exciting about being part of the process to allow people to do that
0: yeah absolutely and again you know not to sound self-serving but the influx of really strong consultants coaches other trusted advisors serving the law firm market coupled with Uh, The technology that has come to the law firm space, I think have made it easier than ever before to build and scale a law firm. I mean, orders of magnitude easier. And so the opportunities there for people who are willing to put on their entrepreneurial hat, look at some of the opportunities and trends that are going on and then adjust their practice to seize those trends. Are are staggering, and they're probably not anything like we've seen before. The good news is, it's probably only, those opportunities are probably only going to get bigger and easier to take advantage of over time. We just want to make sure that as many lawyers as possible are the ones taking advantage of those opportunities, rather than you know uh, watching them flip by.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I guess the only uh, and pushback is too strong a phrase. The only sort of observation I would have is. The, I agree with you 100% that the opportunities right now and technology has been played an incredible role, such like, for instance, I was asked in the last two weeks by someone who's thinking about leaving to start their own firm, and they said, how much is this going to cost me? I said, look, you can launch a website, business cards. If you have clients to take with you, like the startup costs of this in today's world are like 2500 bucks. This is so much cheaper, and we could set this up pretty much instantaneously You know, within like a few days. That's not the hard part. The only place where I push back a little bit on what you said is, I think we're in a window of time. I think that five, 10 years from now, and obviously no one has a crystal ball exactly, and it might be a lot closer to five than 10 years, the factors that we're talking about in terms of technology, in terms of an aging workforce, the demographics, what's happening with the accounting firms, I actually think that in part because of COVID-19 and what happened beforehand, the next few years are a great opportunity for people who think entrepreneurially to really make changes. And I think five years, eight years, 10 years, I'm not saying it's gonna be impossible, but I actually think we're in this window where it's particularly attractive to do that because 10 years from now, for example, in succession planning, Okay, the, like the median age of lawyers in California, which is the market that I know best, although I work with people all over, is 53. 10 years from now, it's not going to be 63 or 68. At some point, these lawyers are, in fact, you know, contrary to what they believe, they're not immortal, and that we're going to shift back to what the average age distribution has been for generations, which was 15 years ago, the median age of a lawyer around the country was 39 or 40. There's certain elements of this because of technology and other factors where the next five years for me are such an exciting time to be a lawyer if you take advantage of it. I'm a little less optimistic of what happens seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years from now.
0: Well, the one thing I've seen that happens is no matter what happens in the, in the industry, the forward thinking you know, law firms, whatever, in any industry are going to thrive and they're going to Really take advantage of those, of those opportunities that are in front of them. They may be different opportunities than what's there today. So as one window closes, maybe on the demographic side, maybe another window opens on uh, a different aspect of te- technology or globalization or ownership of law firms, which is something I'm particularly excited about. That will you know enable that industry to take another step forward. The the challenge I think is that making sure that law firms continue to look to the future and continue to anticipate what could be coming so that they are in a position to take advantage of those things, uh, again, rather than watch those opportunities pass them by. I know that's a big reason for uh, why I do what I do is because there's such an opportunity to make a difference in the lives of the attorneys that are working too hard for too little. uh, And it's causing them incredible stress, uh, affecting their quality of life and their health and well-being. And a lot of those challenges can be solved just by you know, focusing on strategy, focusing on business best practices, and then implementing those in your firm. So with that being said, Gideon, uh, and we're talking about law firm growth in the next five years, what what excites you about the future of RFL?
1: A lot does. I mean, that's a great question. Uh, I would say, look, look, first of all, I'm so delighted in terms of the quality of the people we have. So it's not just me. Sarah Braun is an MBA and a lawyer been working with for five years. You know, a lot of my team has been around together for a long time. So part of it is the opportunity of just continuing to grow and bring in great people. And I would say that the area that's been the, you know, beyond the strategic planning, succession planning, being a bigger and bigger part of what we do is I would say that the technology part of things where reaching out and whether it's uh, group coaching, whether it's helping Lawyers make career transitions, which ends up being a big issue in succession planning, because a lot of times nothing happens if the head of the firm can't imagine what he or she is going to be doing five years from now. If they say, look, this is the only thing I need to know how to do, and this is the only thing I've done since I've been 25, the whole process sort of grinds to halt. So the ability to grow online, to reach people for group coaching and to do more of the succession planning career transition part together, the life design part, as we call it, that's an area that we're doing more and more of. And we are growing our online footprint rapidly. And that I am just super excited about. And it's an example of we were already going in that direction and COVID-19 has sped it up. But that I would say are like two or three examples of where we are really very excited about our, abil- our ability and the opportunity to increase the number of people that we can help by leveraging technology in the online world.
0: Terrific. Well, Gideon, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. And if people want to reach out and connect with you, what's the best way for, the, for them to do that?
1: A couple of ways. So for many years in my life, I thought that having to spell my name so often is a, is a curse. But in the internet age, having a name like Gideon Grunfeld makes you very easy to find. So I'm pretty much the only person with that name as far as I know. So you can find me easily on LinkedIn. G-I-D-E-O-N-G-R-U-N-F-E-L-D. Super easy to find there. Super easy to find at rainmakingforlawyers.com. So it's just Gideon, G-I-D-E-O-N, Rainmaking for Lawyers, you know, F-O-R is spelled out, it's not the number, and it's lawyers at the end. Rainmakingforlawyers.com, shoot me an email. I'd be delighted to help in any way I can, help any of your listeners. Um, It's been a real fun conversation. I so much appreciate the opportunity to do this with you.
0: Yeah, my pleasure, Gideon. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. And that's a wrap. To get more episodes, webinars, and free stuff, visit LawyerBusinessAdvantage.com. My name is Alay Yajnik. Thank you for listening. And remember, there is a rainmaker inside everyone, including you.